The man with the blackened face started to move as soon as he heard the bolt slide back on the cabin door. He came around the corner just as Vernon Lippert stepped through the doorway onto the narrow wooden platform that served as a porch. He saw Lippert glance up at the gray sky, eyes narrowing behind his glasses as he sighted on something small and distant. Then a whisper of warning alerted Lippert, a slither of boot over soft earth or a stirring of air, and his eyes widened and focused as his head jerked round, and he tried to leap backward through the open doorway. He was not quick enough. What his shocked glance revealed was a flooding awareness of danger, recognition that came like a blow from a fist and a swift-darting sense of the precise, immediate threat. A peculiar kind of gun in Bray's hands. It was held in both hands, like a medieval crossbow, though it was much smaller and lighter. It was made of polished metal and had a long barrel. It made a small popping sound as gas escaped when Bray pulled the trigger. Stumbling over the threshold of his cabin, Lippert took the dart high on his temple. He jerked sideways against the door jamb, stunned by a sharp electric shock. He didn't fall. He sank against the door jamb, sank slowly until he was half sitting in the opening, his long legs sprawling over the wooden porch, twitching like a man with a seizure. Bray closed in swiftly while Lippert was still stunned and paralyzed from shock. He jerked the probe from Lippert's temple. It remained attached to the weapon by long, thin, plastic-coated wires. The gun had been devised by the burgeoning technology of the security industry as a non-lethal method of immobilizing an attacker. Lippert would be dazed for only a few minutes. Bray wanted no struggle, no sign of violence. He picked up the lean figure in the doorway as if he were lifting a child in his arms. He carried Lippert almost gently to the shore of the lake and without hesitating waded out into the water. The lake bottom dropped quickly and at the end of the dock he was almost waist-deep in the cold water. He lowered Vernon Lippert's body, and in the moment of thrusting his head underwaters, saw the FBI man's eyes pop open. There was a brief, feeble struggle, but Lippert had not yet recovered from the jolt he had received. In a minute, bubbles broke the surface of the water. Bray waited another thirty seconds before he lifted the limp, sodden form from the water and laid it in the small boat tied to the dock. He found a tarpaulin wedged beneath the seat at the stern and dragged it out to cover the body. When he pulled the tarp clear and swung around, the flat paddle of an oar slammed against the side of his face. The blow slashed a cut high on his forehead. Blood poured into his left eye, half-blinding him. The oar rose and struck again, and he caught it and yanked, pulling Vernon Lippert into the water with him. Not unconscious, not drowned, Lippert had tricked him. Through a red haze he wrestled Lippert under the water. The lean man still gripped the blood-streaked oar with both hands, refusing to let go. That was a mistake. He was caught between the boat and the dock, and Bray used the oar to pin him beneath the surface, wedged between the boat and dock. Bray held Lippert there, his face only a few inches underwater, his eyes open and accusing. This time standing in the water near the edge of the lake, the cold seeping through clothes and flesh and striking to his bones. Ray held his accuser for several minutes, not moving, the muscles of his back and shoulders straining long after there was no need. He pulled the body into the boat, threw the tarpaulin over it. In spite of Lippert's brief struggle, there was no mark on his body to raise questions. Bray's own cut was at the edge of his hairline. It could easily be disguised while it healed. His gaze swept the lake. Though the sky was paler than it had been only a few moments ago, 
Not enough light had come to the far shore for anything on land to be seen clearly, and this eastern side, with the thick woods and the mountain behind it, was darker still. No boats were visible, no early lights. The nearest neighboring cabin, a quarter of a mile away, was empty at this time of year. So were most of the houses and cabins on the eastern shore. All was quiet. He carried Lippert's wet Macintosh into the cabin and draped it over a chair in front of the fire. Then he began a methodical, painstaking search of the cabin. He had neglected no possible hiding place, but left no sign that anything had been disturbed. In the small, simply furnished cabin, there were few places of concealment from an experienced eye. Within fifteen minutes, he knew that what he was searching for was not here. A blind rage seized him. He had to fight the terrible urge to smash and tear everything he could lay his hands on. His whole body shook with the fever of his fury.